Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Big Ten Show presented by the Believe Network. Thank you for tuning in on Bally Sports. Happy holidays. I'm joined by Nebraska Cornhusker legend and former NFL defensive lineman Adam Carricker. You can catch the Adam Carricker Show on 93.7 The Ticket in Lincoln, Nebraska. Also, be sure to check out the Carricker Chronicles on YouTube and from Believe Network, State of State, a Penn State football podcast. I'm Tom Hannafin. Lots happening in the Big Ten right now, Adam, as we get set for bowl season to really get underway and, of course, the college football playoff. But I'm not even being biased here. We have to start with what in the world is going on in Lincoln, Nebraska. The transfer portal's open, and it seems like head coach Matt Rule might pull off the heist of the century with one of the most highly touted quarterback recruits in recent memory in Dylan Rayola. For those that don't know, can you kind of walk us through what is going on there in Husker territory? I mean, it's exciting times. If you're a Husker fan, they're talking to Kyle McCord from Ohio State. They're starting quarterback, former five-star recruit, about potentially coming to Lincoln. It seems like it's all but a done deal, but until things are announced, I never completely buy it, but that's what I'm hearing. Dylan uh, Dylan Riola was a guy who was originally committed to Ohio State, then he flipped to Georgia. He's ha- He's got family connections to Nebraska. His dad, Dominic, was an All-American center here, okay? Remington Award winner. His uncle, Donovan, is the offensive line coach here who just got a one-year contract extension, a 53% raise. So people seem to be happy with him. So he's got all sorts of family connections. And even after, they, he not only committed to Georgia, they moved to Buford, Georgia, to be closer to Athens, only an hour away. But he still showed up at a Husker basketball game last winter. He still showed up at a Husker football game this fall. Nobody thought anything of it because he's got family connections. He's committed to Georgia. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, he might be coming to Nebraska. Matt Rule, it was a tough season, tough first season. It was tumultuous, up and down, a lot of improvement on the defense, better run game, not great quarterback play, which cost you a lot of games. You realistically could have won with a not-so-tough schedule. So there's been a lot of scrutiny. At the same time, the dude's built programs. And I think he learned from his time in Carolina that sometimes you got to put a little bit of accelerant on it because he wants to be patient. He's willing to absorb some early losses for the long-term benefit of the program, but he's readily admitted maybe he should have gotten another free agent or two in Carolina. And I think he looks at a guy like Dylan Raiola. He looks at a guy like Kyle McCord, Julian Fleming, a former five-star uh, wide receiver, number one wide receiver in 2020, who could potentially be coming from Ohio State as a little bit of uh, college free agency, NIL transfer portal, and maybe a little bit of that accelerant he's thinking about. And he's doing a great job, at least getting us in the conversation to begin with. That accelerant is necessary considering the way the Big Ten is going to expand next year, the arrival of now former Pac-12 teams, USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon. You either keep up or you're out. That's the challenging thing. And I was really encouraged to see how Nebraska nearly pulled off bull eligibility this season. They nearly knocked off the Big Ten West champions, Iowa, to get themselves into bowl contention. It just didn't play out that way in the final moments there in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I also point towards the the quarterback Sims, the transfer from Georgia Tech, what could have been there. So it's not that Matt Rule's made bad moves. It's just not worked out in season one. But Matt Rule's also been one of the most outspoken people in regard to what the transfer portal is, how to work it, how much people are valued at. What do you think Matt Rule knows that has him ahead of the curve right now? It seems like he is. I think he's a, a smart guy, and I think he's a grinder. 
I think he's willing to put in those hours that time every college football coach may or may not see their family on a particular day in a particular time of year. That's just part of the gig. I've seen several coaches who've slept and spent nights on the couch, especially in season. So I'm not saying other coaches aren't working hard. I think Matt Rule's willing to do those even extra beyond little things. And he's kind of like, what was it? Somebody told me the other day, he's like, he's just kind of sees those little things and I would never want to play poker with him. And I was like, wow, that, that was a great analogy. I don't want to play poker with him either. I like my money. Uh, so anyways, I think he just sees things a little bit differently. I think that's why he was able to kind of turn around a really bad Temple program at the time, a Baylor program that was down in the dumps beyond almost belief. And a couple of years later, they were a top 10 program, 11 and one record. And then he goes to Carolina. So I think he's able to see uh, those little things. And I think he's able to recognize the things that, hey, this is what worked for me in the past. This is what didn't. And this is what I need to take advantage of right now. Coming back to the possible recruits transfers, do you see any potential issue in that Kyle McCord is interested in going to Nebraska, has been courted by Nebraska, but now Dylan Raiola is in the mix? Could McCord maybe back out or is he... I hate to say it, but is he a bridge quarterback? I'd be surprised. I haven't spoken to him directly. I'd be surprised if he backs out. I mean, he's an upperclassman. You know, it's almost perfect because Dylan can come here if this all comes to fruition. And I'll be honest with you, I'm big on competition. All right, you guys are here, but you still got to earn it. There's a guy named Daniel Kalen who's committed to come to Nebraska. Chubba Purdy looked good at the end of the year. I don't know if we'll get all these guys in a room, and if we do, will they all stay? I don't know. But you got to earn it. But beyond that, McCord is really a great, efficient, game-managing type quarterback. And had we had that a year ago, we'd probably have seven or eight wins. Five one-loss games. Five one-loss games, and we led the nation in turnovers. A majority of those came from the quarterback position. So I think he's perfect for what we're looking for now. Uh, Ohio State fans are looking for someone who's going to push the ball down the field more, going to take a game over more. That's not necessarily who he is, and that's okay, and that fits at Nebraska if it works out. And then it's almost perfect whether it's Daniel Kalen, Chubba Purdy, or Dylan Riola that's in that two spot behind him. You get a year, you get some time to learn, and then the job could potentially be yours. So I don't think it affects Kyle. I think what Dylan does affects uh, Daniel Kalen. And I won't go into that whole thing, but basically as soon as Dylan committed to Georgia, Rule called him, he flipped to Nebraska, and he's basically peer-recruited half this class. So I think I, I hope people appreciate what he's done. But I think that's kind of more the dominoes that might be affected there. Things are really starting to heat up in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I don't know if a lot of people expected that in December of 2023, but so much can play out. Uh, in the process of talking about the transfer portal and what Nebraska is up to, we're kind of touching on what's going on with Ohio State, and they are heading into a bowl game against Mizzou. Obviously, some guys that have hopped in the transfer portal, a la starting quarterback Kyle McCord, uh, two running backs and Evan Pryor. Chip Trainum is off to Kentucky. Meanwhile, Julian Fleming, as you mentioned, is at play in the transfer portal. Are you concerned at all about Ohio State in 2024 under Ryan Day? Uh, if, if you had asked me about the bowl game, yes. I don't know if anybody cares about bowl games, and that's a that's sad to be given. We'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, the bowl game, I'm I'm actually pretty concerned. But beyond that, no. Uh, I do think they had a quarterback battle. They didn't. They didn't. Kyle McCord wasn't even the designated starter until about game three or four. So they've got other people in that room who are capable of taking over the job. I do think it would behoove them to try to find somebody from the transfer portal, okay? Um, I think for me, it's one of those things where he has, Ryan Day has recruited so well. They're constantly in the top two, top three. Bama, Georgia, Ohio State are typically in the top three. Then Texas will pop up. Florida State will pop up. All right, Colorado's got the number one transfer portal, transfer portal class right now. 
but they've got talent. Now, football players don't just grow on trees, but when you keep recruiting as many talented guys as you have, I think they're going to be all right. The biggest thing is they do need to make sure they've got a solid QB1 next year. Devin Brown was pushing Kyle McCord. If anything, they were neck and neck for most of camp. So if it is Devin Brown, that's one thing. Uh, names like Cam Ward have been out there, transfer portal quarterback from Washington State, also Dante Moore from UCLA. So a lot can happen there for the Buckeyes. Speaking of the Buckeyes and within the Believe Network, shout out to our friends on the Believe in Buckeyes podcast, Brian Browning and Chimdi Chekwell recently were joined by former Ohio State head coach, now Fox broadcaster, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is always good about hot takes. I don't even know if this was necessarily a hot take, and it's outside of the Big Ten, but I think it's a worthy discussion. Is the conversation surrounding transfer portal quarterbacks specifically? They were talking about what's going on at Notre Dame. Last year, they got Sam Hartman from Wake Forest. That had positive results. Obviously, the program feels all warm and fuzzy about Sam Hartman, but it didn't turn into this magnanimous season. Now they've got Riley Leonard, a transfer from Duke. At one point, was a Heisman hopeful this year before getting injured. And the point was raised by Urban Meyer is that, are you just going to keep relying on transfers, or are you going to get your own quarterbacks in there, and are you going to develop them? Do you, do you think either way is plausible at this point in time? Have things changed that much? So Urban, his his opinion in that interview is what I would have thought. It's you need transfer portal guys to come in sometimes. Sometimes you need an immediate impact player. Sometimes you need depth, whatever the case may be. Kind of like a free agent sort of in the NFL, so to speak. Not exactly the same, but kind of sort of. But I would prefer to bring in my own guys, develop them, okay, and kind of train them. But that's not how college football has worked. Joe Burrow, Heisman Trophy winner, transfer. Jalen Hurts in the went to New York, transfer. You look at uh, Baker Mayfield, transfer. You look at this year, Bo Nix, transfer. Michael Penix Jr., transfer. Uh, Jane uh, Williams. Jane Daniels. Jane Daniels. I knew LSU. that wasn't right. Uh, LSU, Heisman <laughs> Trophy winner, transfer. And I'm just like, I agree with Urban. But no matter how much I want it to equal five, two plus two equals four, and transfer quarterbacks are doing just fine. So I agree with him, but that's not what the facts are bearing out. And so for me, if it's working, because here's the other risk you take. And Matt Rule even talked about this in his end of season press conference because he talked about a transfer portal quarterback might cost you anywhere from one to two million dollars. But he talked about you recruit a high school kid, you, you grow him, you develop him, and then he plays well. And then somebody else offers him a buku of money and he's gone because that's the other thing you run into. What if you spend all this time on a kid and then he goes somewhere else? So it's it's kind of a catch-22, and as much as I'd like to agree with Urban, and he knows way more about football than I do, I don't know that I do. But I think he recognizes what's actually happening in college football, too, because he even pointed out, look at all these quarterbacks that are transfers. A part of his conversation was specifically talking about seniors where this is their last year of eligibility, and we've been boggled by that entire situation with COVID and extra years, redshirt senior plus. It's it's complicated <laughs> to see who has eligibility or not. Yep. But still, getting Sam Hartman in for a rental for one year, he's out. Riley Leonard, you get him in. So you see how it goes. But the quarterbacks you mentioned, Knicks, Panix, Daniels, got multiple years within their mm -hmm. new program, got a chance to be developed all over again, had a chance to learn a new program. I think that's a plausible model. It's obviously been proven, but I do have to agree with Urban Meyer. And I think a specific point that he was also trying to make, and I wonder what you think about this, is that is there a problem at Notre Dame in regard to recruiting quarterbacks? And do Marcus Freeman and company have a deficiency in developing quarterbacks? 
I think if you can, and I don't want to label them as this, but it's what's coming into my head. So it's what I'll say. If you have to keep doing one year rentals at quarterbacks, then the answer is yes, you need to be better about recruiting, developing. And I think you made a great point. Almost every quarterback that we've talked about that went on to be Heisman Trophy winner or finalist, they weren't just there for a year. That first year is such a learning curve, especially a quarterback. By the time year two rolls around, you're coming back. You know what the coach wants. You know the expectation. You know the offense. You know the motion. You know snap count. You know every single little read. And now you're just getting better and better and better and faster at it. I watched Joe Burrow his junior year at LSU. He was above average, but not great. I wouldn't even call him very good. Uh, then all of a sudden, he might be one of the he's one of the best college football quarterbacks we've ever seen. Just a year later. So I think that year two jump, it's almost like year two under a new head coach tends to be a good jump, and then year three is even a bigger jump. So I do think there's something to be said for bringing in a guy who's got at least two years, if not more, but at least two years to spend with you. Speaking of players that you can wrangle in the transfer portal, something my co-host Justin King and I have talked a lot about on State of State, a Penn State football podcast, is the concept of win share probability in regards to the specific positions that you can get in the transfer portal. Now, no disrespect to certain positions, but if you go get, I don't know, a middle linebacker, is he really going to win you ball games? Is he going to win you multiple ball games? The truth of the matter, much like the NFL, is that quarterbacks, pass rushers, and offensive tackles are the Mm -hmm. most coveted positions, especially this year and historically in the transfer portal. So you have to look at some of these guys, tackles, pass rushers, you know what that game is all about. Can they really make a difference? And when you look at the transfer portal right now, how many program-changing difference makers exist right now? It's funny because I've always said, and college football is becoming, obviously, way more and more like the NFL every day. Okay, and so I've always said in the NFL, it's guys who throw the ball, guys who get after the guys who throw the ball and the guys who protect the guys who throw the ball those are the most coveted players and every once in a while there's a db okay if you have a lockdown db that can change things as well you look at i mean i look i think cam ward is a guy wherever he goes and i know he's kind of projected right now probably towards miami a little bit more wherever he goes he's a difference maker and one of my favorite things about him is he wasn't even highly recruited coming out of high school like he is pretty much self-made throughout college so i love a kid like that even more and i'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name i just call him prince lee you okay the edge rusher from florida he's the top edge pass rusher in the entire transfer portal number three overall player okay i know he took a visit to ole miss monday i know that nebraska is still on the table and there's probably about one other school that's still on the table but whoever can get a guy like that is going to get an immediate impact player i mean pro football focus actually rated him the top defensive player on florida's defense last year okay so guys like that and i know walter nolan he was the number one recruit in the country coming out of high school, D-tackle at AM. Now he's the number one player in the transfer portal. If you go by best player, he probably is the best player. You go by biggest impact, I'm going to look more towards quarterbacks and edge rushers, kind of like we talked about, just because they impact the game a little bit more, just like you said. And then I'm sure we could go on and on about the fluctuation between the pass rusher concept, a defensive tackle versus defensive end, but that's for another day. Let's project ahead uh, to the college football playoff. The controversy surrounding Florida State seems to be in our rearview window as long as you live outside of the state of Florida. It sounds like a number of lawsuits have been filed. Uh, The governor of Florida has gotten involved. Obviously, Seminole fans are pretty ticked off. But what we have is Washington versus Texas and Michigan versus Alabama. How do you feel about that final four? So 
my, my son's tackle football team just went down to Florida, played in nationals, and then he's off to high school next year. When we were in Orlando, first of all, I didn't know there were so many Florida State Seminole fans in Orlando. It must be a lot closer to Tallahassee than I realized. I saw zero hurricanes, zero gators, uh, like hats and shirts walking around, but no less than like 50 Florida State. Maybe it's just people are mad and they were showing their support. So people in Florida are definitely up in arms, at least in Orlando and Tallahassee for sure. Uh, I mean, Florida State should have been in. We don't have to belabor this. Florida State should have been in because I don't like to project what I think is going to happen in the game. I have to go off what actually has happened in front of me. Otherwise, why do we play the freaking games? Here's the other thing that doesn't make any sense to me. How does Liberty jump SMU? Liberty's undefeated. SMU has two losses, but beats Tulane, who was the highest ranked group of five team, would have been in. They're the AAAC champion, not to be confused with the ACC. But yet Liberty jumps them, and the committee's reasoning was, well, Liberty won all their games. What? Where was that with FSU? Like two plus two has to equal four, people. I'm just saying. I'm going to come back to that. So for me, and then I even looked at strength of schedule. SMU wasn't off the charts, but strength of schedule, Liberty was 132. So, and they're the number one rushing offense in the country, the only team to average over 300 yards rushing a game. So we'll see what happens. It'll be exciting, but you got to use the same logic for Florida State. Now you move to the teams that are actually in. Now, I'm that guy. There's always a silver lining. I don't care how dark the cloud is. There's always a silver lining. You just got to look for it. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's not. Here's the silver lining. Man, Florida State would have been such a huge underdog, and I don't know that it would have gone well. I would have taken that out of the equation as far if I were a CFP voter, but now that we've got these four teams, I think it's actually the four best teams, and they may be two of the best college football player playoff games we've ever had. Bama and Michigan's going to be neck and neck. I think Washington's a little underrated. Uh, I see why Texas, the trenches, the O-line, the D-line, they have the advantage over every team, barring maybe Michigan's O-line, in the trenches and that's in the CFP. So I think it's going to be two great games. I think it's going to be fun to watch. And that's the silver lining is it is probably the four best teams, maybe not the four most deserving. I don't want to get like final scores from you or even a, a national champion, but who do you think winds up in the national championship game? I'm going to go with Michigan over Bama. I watched that Bama Auburn game. That what a miracle play, but they found a way to make it. Then they go out and they beat Georgia. Two-time national champs. Hadn't lost in, what, almost two years or two and a half years? Okay. Beat the number one team in the country. I think it's going to come down to Michigan has not really faced a mobile quarterback all year. Bama's quarterback maybe the most single most improved player in the entire country. He was struggling early on. I'm like, they're going to have three losses this year. The worst team that Saban had since about 2000, I think, 11 or 12, they had three losses. Okay. The only time ever. And then he's got better and better and better, but his legs are something that Michigan hasn't seen all year. And then the offensive line for Bama was really bad at the beginning of the year, especially when they got exposed versus Texas. It's how do they do in the trenches versus Michigan? And can Michigan's defense keep containment on Alabama's quarterback? With Texas and Washington, Texas has the advantage in the trenches. They look like a national championship type team. In my opinion, Washington gets overlooked they aren't their players aren't as highly recruited so they're not as flashy you know we weren't talking about them on signing day or transfer portal day so all of a sudden here's this undefeated team from what was probably the best conference in America this year and they just found a way to win game after game and beat Oregon twice somehow I'm gonna go with Washington even though I'm surprised myself I'm gonna go with Washington because I'm looking at what they've done and they just find a way to keep winning against ranked team after ranked team after ranked team so I got Washington and I got Michigan, and I know I went with the two higher ranked teams. So no surprise there. <laughs> I am genuinely surprised to hear you pick Washington over Texas, but 
I could see that game honestly going either way. Mm -hmm. I think with the offensive capability of both teams, this has the potential to be a shootout. But yeah, I just don't know to the point you were saying about Texas. They're great in the trenches. Washington reminds me a lot of the teams that Kyle Whittingham has field, uh, fielded mm -hmm. at Utah. Uh, I'd say more circa 2022 than anything out of respect to what happened this season for Utah. So I, I'm really interested to see that game. And I think Michigan versus Bama, Michigan looked a little bit mm, awkward there when it was revealed they were playing Alabama, Nick Saban and company yeah. looked very, very cozy. So I'm curious to see how that thing goes. I think it'll be lower scoring. Uh, personally, I think Bama, Texas, uh, the complete opposite, not to just be a mm -hmm. contrarian, but I oh, like I Bama's momentum at this point in time. And I like Texas. So it feels like it's going to be explosive, like your favorite wrestler of all time, Bill Goldberg. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who's next? <laughs> Dumb man. You're, you're a big wrestling fan. I am. Um, I've actually had the opportunity to interview guys like Roman Reigns back when he was in the Shield and Goldberg and a bunch of other guys. I've actually, and I, one final thought, I think that Washington-Texas game, because they've got NFL receivers, they've got an NFL quarterback for Washington, mm -hmm. but can they protect Michael Penix? I think it's going to come down to that. So I got I got a couple questions for you because you spend a lot of time in the WWE. You're in the TNA now, in TNA now. Okay, who uh, who's your favorite WWE superstar you've ever been around, been able to work with, and why? I've ever gotten to work with. Wow. Um... I would say it's currently Drew McIntyre, and that's no disrespect to anybody else on the roster. I had so many good interactions. Drew McIntyre is one of the nicest human beings you'll meet. Now, right now, what he's doing on TV, he's not the <laughs> nicest guy. At least that's the way fans perceive it. But um, I had the the honor and the privilege of calling his two WWE championship wins. He is so communicative when it comes to someone who is doing play-by-play -play commentary on his matches, constantly getting with us, giving us notes, giving us information, trying to help us tell his story even better than he's doing it in the ring. And on top of that, for some of the reasons that you like Goldberg in terms of just that big dude who looks the part, Drew McIntyre looks the part and can be a franchise player. So uh, he's one off the top of my head. And trust me, there are many. I love his story, um, the chosen one, to being fired, to going. I think it was TNA Impact that he went to, right? For a little while, yeah. Yeah, making a name there and then coming back and winning a couple championships, a Royal Rumble, Rumble beating Lesnar. It kind of stunk that that was during COVID, so he couldn't. He didn't have that fan reaction, but it was still awesome. One last question for you: What is and it's Impact Wrestling now, correct? Not TNA. Is that we're correct? about to be TNA Wrestling once again in January? Okay. We're very excited. <laughs> okay, awesome. Sorry, I hope I didn't screw that up. All good. What's the biggest dif difference between WWE and TNA through your experience? I think WWE is much more about uh, promos and the entertainment side of things. Not that there's anything wrong with that. TNA has the, the elements of great entertainment as well, but it's much more focused on the in-ring product, great wrestling. We have a lot of wrestlers that have been in WWE, have been in AEW, have been in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So it's eclectic. It's diverse every age range you can imagine all walks of life men and women the inclusivity of tna wrestling is also unmatched i would say in professional wrestling so i think what we're going to do in january is going to be really special what it is i don't know and i get to be a fan like everybody else it's a huge opportunity for the company so hopefully everybody comes along for the ride man that'll be awesome i would encourage people to check it out and if you follow tna impact 
since its inception with Jeff Jarrett and then Dixie Carter and then Billy Corgan and all up to date now, it's been fun to watch. And the fact is, there's still a successful wrestling company that is around and growing, and there aren't many companies that can say that. 22 years later, as of 2024, we got to get Adam Carricker in a TNA ring, right in the impact <laughs> zone. I think that'd be fun. Uh, he is Nebraska legend Adam Carricker. I am Tom Hannafin. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Big Ten Show presented by the Believe Network. And happy holidays.